Welcome to Foster Career Experience, a podcast featuring interviews with people who've had experience with the foster care system about their lives, their career journeys, and their stories of navigating the workplace. We all bring unique histories with us in our jobs, and by understanding each other's experiences, we can make the workplace better for everyone. Today's episode features Clifton, a baby boomer who works as a business consultant. One thing to note is that Clifton is a twin, and his brother Charles is featured in another episode, if you want to give that a listen as well. Clifton is a published author of three books. He was an executive at a top automotive manufacturer for nearly 30 years, and he owns his own business. And he has an MBA. But his life started far from that goalpost. Clifton spent 12 years in foster care with his twin brother Charles, including 11 years in a Christian group home. The brothers knew their biological parents and why they couldn't live with them. Life was just challenging. There's too much month at the end of the money. Clifton's dad was the oldest of seven kids. Even with multiple older children working, Clifton's family couldn't make ends meet after his grandfather died. So at age 12, Clifton's dad started driving a grocery delivery truck. I've heard my aunts and him tell the stories. He was too short to drive a truck, a delivery truck, but they literally put like a milk crate or something, a bunch of phone books, and he would sit on those and drive a delivery truck. At 16 years old, Clifton's dad lied about his age and joined the Marines. When World War II broke out, they needed people so bad that they took him. His brothers went, and he went to war. So they went, he joined the uh, Marines. They joined, uh, one joined the Navy, I think one joined the Army, but they all went in together, and they went, you know, they went in. So he's, he's 16 years old over in the Philippines uh, fighting. At that time, they were fighting the Japanese. You know, the Japanese had taken the Philippine Islands, so they were, you know, they were, they were just grunts. You know, they'd line up the boat and run up the shore and, fall down and start shooting that's that was really what is their role was and so um but he you know he grew up had to grow up fast and hard clifton's mom also had to drop out of school during world war ii she dropped out uh maybe around 15 or 16 in uh, 16 something like that i mean there's just a lot of demands on people you know she only had one brother and he was he ran off to join the army too and so you know, my grandmother said, you know, you girls got to work. So they went to, they were doing things that they could do, you know. They knew how to sew, so they would sew aprons and different things. It was, you know, all kinds of odd little jobs they made. And, you know, one of them might go sell them and the other ones would sew them. So they had, you know, four girls. So different world, different world. This meant that Clifton's parents couldn't care for their youngest children in the way that they needed. Clifton shares his hardest story to tell. When he, Charles, and their sister were left alone for hours at a bus stop on Christmas Day because their dad was arrested for public intoxication. My brother and I were smart enough to realize, and my sister, that we're not going home with these people. My parents are not going to be able to take us. But the silver lining of this hardest story was that Clifton was never alone. Clifton always had his twin. So there, so there are a lot of challenges. But getting back to this, if you have a twin brother or a sibling, any sibling, at least you're going through most of this stuff together. And if you're two, your brother's your twin, you're the same age, you play sports together, you do things, you study together. 
So we were, you know, we were at least uh, your best friend. You had somebody to go through it with. Now, you know, he doesn't know any more than I know most of the time. I mean, or I don't know any more than he does most of the time. So sometimes just process it together. Clifton and his twin were the first in their family to go to college. In one generation, their family went from parents who were not able to finish high school to two sons with MBAs. Clifton's first job was at a top automotive manufacturer, where his twin brother joined him just a couple years later. He had found out about the opportunity through a career fair. So I picked all the companies that I was interested in and sent them the resumes. And, uh, you know, some of those companies, I mean, I didn't go with any of them, but some of the companies that didn't select me as an interviewee, I, uh, when I got there, because you got to buy your hotel room and all that junk and pay your meals and drive. So there was no, you know, I mean, it, there's money going out, not money coming in unless you get a job. So I, uh, I, I said uh, I would call the contact people at the hotel and say, what are you doing for breakfast or dinner or whatever? I would try to slide myself into another interview. And it worked out to be a really good thing. I mean, I, uh, I got a lot of, I mean, like I said, I got my, my best job offers came from that. Burlington industry said, Hey, come work with us. We'll give you free sheets and curtains and towels. And Procter and Gamble said, we'll give you toothpaste and uh, laundry detergent. And Ford said, I'll give you a new car. I said, I'll take the car behind door number three. So I went with Ford because I had a beater. I had a beater car, a $300 car, you know. So I said, I'm going to take the car and go with that. Uh, you know, and I worked there 27 years. His 27-year career included a recession that rocked the automotive industry and the economy as a whole. And his response to that will always be associated with his career. Clifton published a book about how the company should respond to the changing economy without asking for the company's permission. Uh, in 2006, Ford was in trouble, and we were just doing what I thought were just crazy things. Uh, so uh, I began. I wrote the book mainly because I was frustrated that nobody was doing the right thing, and and and. And and we lost twelve point seven five billion dollars in two thousand seven. So that's uh that's four hundred dollars a second. So uh, it's a lot of money, and nobody's listening. I'd tell them, hey, why don't we do this? Why don't we do that? And I had gone through all these jobs, and so I kind of had a pretty good view of, of some things that we weren't doing that was smart, and we ought to change. But nobody would listen because everybody was kind of comfortable in their deal, and nobody wanted change. And so I write this book. I don't even think I was going to publish it, but everything. But when I got to the end, I said, you know, if it'll do what we say in this book, it's called Ford and American Dream, then they got a chance to turn it around. Clifton knew that if he published the book, he would likely lose his job. He sought his wife's advice, and she asked him three questions. Number one, is everything in the book true? Number two, if they do what you say, could it help save the company and the industry? And number three, if you don't write it, will anyone else bring it up? Based on Clifton's responses to these three questions, the couple agreed that he had to publish the book. Yeah, it, it was it was challenging. Um, you know, I'm a Christian, so I believe that God had prepared me for this. It, it, growing up in a children's home and a foster home, I mean, you can't get any, you know, if you followed my path, it was pretty rough coming up. There was no, 
shortcut to the executive suite. You know, I was, you know, it was a hard knocks. You, a lot of challenging times. I told you about the bus station. That's just one. There's lots of times where we were scheduled to go home for visitation and he didn't, parents didn't show. So you, you build up your resiliency and you build up your, you know, uh, the one thing Mills home taught me was a Christian home. And so it taught you, you know, that God is, you know, God is who he says he is. Jesus is who he says he is. And so I believe God prepared me to, to do what I had to do. And I'm no saint. I'm no, you know, I'm no preacher or anything like that. I just believe that God was there and, it, and that he was talking to me and he wanted me to do it. Now, I didn't really want to do it. I mean, I didn't want to jeopardize my career, any of that stuff. But I also believe that logically I'd come to the thing that they weren't going to fix it. So if I didn't do it, nobody would do it. Clifton published the book, sent a copy to the company's new CEO, and went on vacation to a running camp in the mountains. While at camp, Clifton got a voicemail from the CEO. Clifton was so worried that he waited until midnight to return the call. Clifton said that he at least wanted to finish his vacation before he got fired. But the CEO just wanted to talk. The two agreed to meet at a private location, away from the office, where the CEO came with nearly 50 pages of notes about Clifton's book. He wanted to hear Clifton's perspective and get his advice. The two wound up meeting several times over the upcoming years, and Clifton never got fired. The company went from having less than 30 days of working capital to being profitable with billions of dollars in the bank. Then, Clifton retired from the company. I don't believe I saved Ford Motor Company, but I believe I helped. Six months ago, the now former CEO asked to talk to Clifton again. So we FaceTimed. He wanted to FaceTime. He's on Google's board and the Mayo Clinic's board. And, you know, he was the CEO of Boeing Airline. And, you know, he's got a gazillion dollars, literally a billionaire. He said, I wanted to tell you, you know, I appreciate you helping me and all the things you did. The CEO said that when he thinks about the company, he thinks about two people, the owner and Clifton, because Clifton was honest with him when no one else would be. After leaving the company where he spent 27 years of his career, Clifton now spends his time on projects that interest him. I wrote another book, two more books. I went out and gave over 300 speeches and, and uh, you know, I ran a jewelry company in New York for two years. Um that had lost money for seven years and we were profitable in six months. I ran an oil company for a year. I worked with different things that I was interested in projects. I said, I'm never going to get another career. I want to just look at projects I'm interested in. And so, um, you know, that's what I did and still I am doing. So we started, we just recently started a year and a half ago, Epica studios and we're making virtual reality, Christian video games. We're the only people in the world that make VR Christian games. And so, um, it's a it's a way out deal. You know, we're making them on the Oculus or the Meta, they call it now, the Meta platform. But, uh, you know, we're, that's what I'm doing because I'm interested in it. And if something else comes up, I'll, I might do that. So what's Clifton's advice for those just starting in their careers? Truth is very important. And you got to find it. And uh, growing up at Mills Home, I had a lot of people that were servant leaders that taught me real integrity and truth. They weren't working there for 401ks or stock portfolios. They didn't have any of that. They never did. 
but they believed in what they were doing and they followed their moral compass. And because they did what they did, Charles and I could do, do what we did. So there's a guiding force built within everybody of what we should do and not do. And sometimes based on the information we get or the situation and the circumstances, we know what we should do. We just decide not to do it. We're, we're all the masters of our own ship. I mean, we can, at any time, we can start making the right decisions. And the core, people used to ask me what my book was about. And I said, every book I write has the same thing. If you do the right thing at the right time with the right motivation, you'll get the right results. But more importantly, you earn the right to expect others to do the same. Thanks for listening to this episode. This podcast was created and hosted by me, Sam Heimbach. It was produced by Zachary Webb. Podcast art and website design are by Hanna Finvez of HMF Design. Music is from Soundstripe. This podcast was funded in part by the Baton Savoie Scholarship offered through the Human Dimensions of Organizations Master's Program at the University of Texas at Austin. You can learn more about this episode and others at fostercareerexperience.com. Thank you.